Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Um, We are as we've just read, talking about debt and slavery. Um, it's a little suspicious that I... Luke tends to give me holy wars and slavery to handle. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we're going to deal with. And um, what we're going to do today, it's a bit of an exercise in biblical ethics. Ethics is simply like thinking about how to live the Christian life in a messy world and... That's what we'll be doing today with some tricky topics. Uh, when I teach ethics at Bible college, I, I, one of the things you do is you give people little problems to solve. Um, one of the classic ones that I ask students is, imagine that you are, it's World War II, you're living, you're an occupied person under the Nazis and you've chosen to harbour Jews to protect them from the Nazis and you've hidden them in your home and the Nazis come around and knock on your door and looking for Jews. Do you have any Jews here? What are you going to say? Now, one of the Ten Commandments is don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't tell lies. One of the big ones. But over the years, nearly everyone says, no, I'd happily lie there and not tell them. And if we just leave out the risk as well, the personal risk of getting in trouble yourself, but just the the choice between telling a lie um, or giving up Jews, you do this little calculus and you say, no, this is more important. Um, Now, that's sort of a, I try not to use many big words, but like a, you can be like an idealist. No, I'm going to keep all the laws perfectly. Um, but actually in the real world, things get messy. If you're a real, realist, um, you do things that don't have a great outcome all the time. And that's really what we're talking about today. One thing that's worth remembering is that the law, the Deuteronomy law, the formal laws of Israel came after the fall. Um, there were some laws or mandates before the fall in the creation, in the garden. We were given jobs to do, spread out, fulfill the earth, um, eat from this tree, enjoy life, flourish, prosper. Um, But the formal laws came after the fall. Um, So they came in in the context of a world where, way more than our world, uh, where debt was um, not just real, but crippling, and bankrupting, no social security, no safety nets. It was a world where poverty was real, where if crops failed, you died. It was also a world where slavery was real. Um, Not just real, it was rampant. It was um, across the board, it was really common. And there are all sorts of different types, and this is very important in, in our context. There were different types of slavery. So there was certainly sexual slavery, Um, there was war booty, Um, 
there was multi-generational slavery. Um, but there was also debt slavery. And slave, debt slavery was when you sold yourself, sold yourself willingly into a, a situation to pay off your debt. So if you had crippling bankruptcy level unpayable debt, then you would sell yourself to someone and work it off. It was called debt slavery. And that's sort of what we're talking about here. The law here is trying to deal with a world where there are some aspirational, Lisa used the word aspirational, there's some aspirational elements to the law, heavenly ideals, but then there's also a earthly, messy element to the law, and the law gives you different types of laws, or at least different, it spells out things in both those terms. Um, it's idealist and it's realist, it has some really clear, don't do this, do do this. But also it's got lots of, if this, then this. So let me give you some examples. I'm a father of four boys. Uh, we, we didn't spell that out on the wall, but there was a rule in our house that um, don't get a girl pregnant, please. Um, but if that had happened, Okay, well, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to make the best of this situation? What's going to be the right way through it? And it won't be perfect and it will be messy and there won't be an easy answer to it either, but what are we going to do? Um, let me give you an even, a actual real example. Um, we would also have a rule in our family not to... Well, there was a thing in high school, well, I won't tell you which son, it wasn't Jeremy who is here with us, so you probably don't know him, but one of our sons in his ear, they did this thing called slap bets, where if you make a bet and if you lose the bet, you get to slap the other person and they... Um, anyway, we had a rule, don't, please don't do slap bets. But the son chose to do the slap bets. And it got to the point where he slapped this kid and... Um, the kid was concussed and there was dental bills and it was like a thousand dollars worth and so again don't do slap bets but if you do one and there are consequences like this okay how are we going to work this out what are the consequences going to be how can we negotiate this um, even when the guy was literally asking for it like you stick your head out to get hit but how, how, how does that play out if someone is asking for it do you still have to pay that's what it's like in a messy world and so that's what you have in the law. The law is wrestling with these sorts of things all the time. Let me give you another example and then we'll come to this one. Um, it's a related example is that in, I don't know if you're aware of the sort of land laws in the Old Testament, but the idea was never buy and sell land. When you go into the promised land, all the different tribes, you're going to give them this bit, you're given this bit and you keep it, it's an inheritance, it's not a... It's not an asset, it's an inheritance, and you pass it down through the family. And if it does get sold because of poverty, because again, you might have a bad year and be crippling in poverty, you might sell it. But you get to the Jubilee year, every 50th year there was a Jubilee. And what was supposed to happen, there's no record that it ever did, but what's supposed to happen is that everyone gives it all back. All the land stays as an inheritance. Um, and you just forgive it. All debt is forgiven, completely forgiven every 50th year. So you had this ideal, never sell the land, but 
also there's an accommodation for the reality that you know you will sell it as it even says in the reading you'll always have the poor so that'll happen but there's a way to redeem that and that's sort of where we are here um, the bible is really clear don't do slavery slavery is utterly evil um, exodus chapter 21 verse 16 let me just read you that verse it's an important verse Exodus 21 16 says whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession this is what we call chattel slavery this is the sort of slavery that we saw in the USA or European slave trade kidnapping people um, having them chained up buying them selling them um, and the Bible utterly prohibits it and it's a Capital offence, it's as serious as it can get. You should never, ever do that. But here we are in Deuteronomy with, if an Israelite has sold you into slavery, or sold themselves to you in slavery, um, do this. We'll talk about what you do in a second. Um, also, I'm not supposed to get into debt. So in our passage, Deuteronomy chapter 15, we finally got to it verse 4 there will be no poor among you that's the ideal that's the command no poor people why because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance if only you obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow every one of these commands I'm giving you today when the Lord your God blesses you as he has promised you you will lend to many nations but not borrow you will rule many nations but they will not rule over you so if you do this right, if you're a community that follows all the rules about generosity and caring for each other, um, then there won't be any poverty. And again here, don't borrow. That's not supposed to happen. You can give, 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 but don't borrow from people. Don't get into debt is the thing. Don't get into debt. There shouldn't be any debt. That's the ideal. But then we have all these things here about, well, this, if you are in debt, then this is what you do. So, what do you do? What do you do in a messy world? And what I'm going to show you is a little pattern that you see here for debt and for slavery that I think you can apply across the board in the Christian life, how to live life in a messy world. So that's the key thing to take away today is the pattern, the trajectory that you see. So this is a retrieval ethic. How do we bring the best out of a messy situation? And the first one is debt. First, chapter 15, verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you should cancel debts. And this is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent his neighbour. He is not to collect anything from his neighbour or brother because the Lord's release of debts has been proclaimed. Um, you may collect something from a foreigner, but you must forgive whatever your brother owes you. I'm going to leave aside the, the, the foreigner stuff. We don't have time to talk about this. This is sort of at least in-house, in-family, in the people of God. Um, you need to cancel debts. This is a jubilee thing again. We're going to get rid of debt. If there is any debt, you need to forgive it because we need to get rid of debt. This is not going to be a community where people are in debt to each other. Um, so you go from this debt state to a clean slate. It's all gone. Um, but here's a really critical thing. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with a clean slate. It goes beyond a clean slate. So verse 7 
if there is a poor person, one of your brothers within any of your city gates living in the land, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. And be careful there isn't this wicked thought in your heart that the seventh year of the year of cancelling debts is near and you are stingy towards your poor brother and you give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty. Give to him. Don't be, have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, Lord your God will bless you. And again, there will always be poor people in the land, but be generous. So it sort of goes beyond just wiping slates clean into actually pouring out generosity onto people. We're talking pretty big numbers here, potentially. If the sort of debt that, like debt can be massive, but every seven years you wipe it away. And this is why you have to do this calculus, right? Um, it's back at a Tim Tams, who cares about doing calculus? But if you're thinking, oh, I'm at the point where um, if I give you money now and it's only a year away before the debt cancelling, there's not time for you to pay me back, so I won't do it. So we're talking about large amounts that will take years to pay back. But no, you forgive it, and then you still pour generosity onto people beyond that. Um, so it's from debt to clean slate to... Um, radical generosity and here's the interesting thing about this passage you see exactly the same thing um, and even more amazingly you see it with slavery so if you are in slavery if you've done that because you are in crippling debt verse 12 if your fellow Hebrew a man or woman is sold to you and serves six years you have to set him free in the seventh year by the way, here's a thing worth remembering about slavery too. I didn't read it out, but um, you can look it up a bit later on. Deuteronomy chapter 23. This sort of slavery was voluntary too. If people could walk out at any point, they weren't chained up. It's not like the USA again. You could walk out, but you still had the debt if you walked out. Um, and there were funny rules that um, are hard to get if you're not in context about the women and children not being able to go with you, but that was more about looking after them because the people who would be, if you'd been sold into slavery, if you'd sold yourself, it would be to a wealthy person who could look after. There was, no, again, no security net. This wealthy family could look after the, um, the rest of the family, but we're not going to let you go off and stay in bondage, in debt bondage. It was that sort of mindset. Again, whether that's right or wrong, uh, whether that's ideal or not, that's the way it sort of worked trying to provide safety nets for the weak and the vulnerable. But here you go. If you get to that seventh year, um, they're, they're let go anyway. The debt's paid for. Again, this is why it's linked to debt. The end of every seventh year, debts, doesn't matter how big, they get wiped away. But then you get to the next step. It's not just freedom. That's not the ideal. The ideal here is you then pour generosity on them. When you set them free, don't send them away empty-handed. Give generously to them from your flock. Flocks are worth a lot of money. Big animals are very costly. That's a, it's not just an asset. That's a living. Um, give from your threshing floor. Give them food. Give them wine. You are to give them whatever the Lord has blessed you with. Remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. And then it goes even further than that, and um, which is not just to stop with freedom and then generosity but actually it's um, to sort of go to family even 
Um, this ne- next bit might not sound like a blessing, but I'll explain how it is. If your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because um, he loves you and your family and is well off with you, take an awl. An awl is like a big nail thing, like a punch that's used for making leather. And you take this and you stick it through their ear and you pin them to the door frame with this. Um, now, that's not a, it's not a punishment thing. That's the way you do contracts. You pierce your ear was a way of doing um, legal contracts back then. It's a contextual or it's a, sorry, it's a cultural thing. So this is not a punishment thing. It's meant to be seen as a positive. You're pinning yourself to this home. This is my home. I belong here. Um, do not regard it as a hardship. Here's that thing too. Don't see this as a negative, that you've lost a servant or a slave. They've turned into family. But this is the trajectory. Again, same thing. From, from slavery to freedom to then... We're going to wrap you up in the family, and that'll be brilliant if you want to stay with us. Um, think extended family. Don't think necessarily that it's it's not like a nuclear family. These households are big, but yeah, you're part of the family. And that's this is the trajectory of the gospel, by the way. But it's the trajectory of how we're to treat people in every aspect. I think it's from sin to justice, but then beyond justice into love. You see it in the Luke passage we had read out earlier. We go from having enemies through making peace with enemies to then those enemies become brothers and sisters. I love what um, Abraham Lincoln said. I'm not sure whether he was the first one to say it or not, but there was a, one of the presidential elections, one of his main opponents that he was running against was um, speaking sort of horribly um, about him all the way through and Abraham Lincoln won and then afterwards he made that I've forgotten the guy's name but he made that guy the secretary of state like number two or three and all Lincoln's friends were saying what are you doing this guy hates you he's your enemy and Lincoln said do I not destroy my enemies by making them my friends Um, and that's the trajectory you go through justice or through removing enmity and then you go beyond that to building friendships and even to building family Um, i've got time to squeeze in a quick story so um you've probably heard the story of the elliots who went to central america um and when they arrived there um, the men were killed by the indigenous people one of my old bosses was at Amsterdam at one of the Lausanne meetings and or Billy Graham, I forget which conference it was, but a um, guy got up on stage and it was one of the Elliot's kids who was giving a testimony about how his dad had been killed by the indigenous people. But the family had stayed there, they'd stayed um, in local and they'd done mission work and that tribe over time had become Christian. And he said one of the cool things was that um, even though my dad was killed, the Lord provided um, another man to sort of replace him, become like a father figure. And he brought that guy up on stage. And, and then he said, and this guy was one of the men who shot my real dad. Um, and so, again, you go from enemy through restoration or peace through all the way to as close as family. And that's the trajectory of the gospel. 
let me give you another real life example. This is my sister lives in Singapore, lived in Singapore for many years, um, and one of the, um, I don't know what you call it, it's not exactly a rule, but one of the, the cultural things there is you should take a maid into your home. And the maids live in like a little cupboard, tiny little rooms. And in many homes, they're just treated as if they were slaves. Um, but it's in that world, it provides um, work for people. And so my sister's maid was there the whole time they were there for like 15 years and she was from Sri Lanka. She'd spent her entire adult life living in Singapore working as a maid. She had kids back in Sri Lanka. She had not seen them for many years, um, had not seen them grow up. Um, but her working as a maid in Singapore had been able to put them through school and also provide um, completely pay off housing for them back in Sri Lanka. Um, and also my sister and brother-in-law, they're Christians and so they, they could have opted out of having a maid, they could have done that, but they had a maid and they did things that were pretty radical, like give her a day off, that was quite um, not a given, pay her well, and they would also fly her back to Sri Lanka once a year so that she could see her family. Um, and it even sort of got to the point where um, she treated them as her family, and they sort of were her family, but she loved them, and it's a bit like this, um, I don't want to leave because I do love you, I love being in this place. Now, it's an interesting example because if I ask you, should, should people live like that, be separated from their family for this long? Should they live in a cupboard? Um, we're talking generally tiny rooms, might fit a bed. Um, is that right? Is that an ideal situation? Should they have not done that? Um, but that's the world we're living in where um, many people don't get a choice. They don't get a choice to live at home in order to provide their family. Um, and often these things are messy and they're not perfect. But still, if you can get to the point where you can go beyond like a raw justice into a loving context, then that's the goal. Let me give you one more example. Um, I think it's true of family breakdown, marriage breakdown. Um, I'll, I'll try not to give any details. There's no way you'll know them. They're from... Um, another city, another state, but um, in our church there was uh, a woman whose father, whose parents I knew quite well and they'd split up and the father wanted to remarry another woman. Um, really tragic actually, she was just like a, a same as the mum but 20 years younger and he asked me to do it. Now I don't want to debate policies on um, when it's right, not right to remarry, but um, I'll tell you why I didn't in this case, it's not a general case, in this specific case I thought no, I'm not going to do this because um, if there's the tiniest hope that you can get back with your wife, I'm not going to extinguish it because I'm going to always aim high. Um, at the moment you're fighting and you can't see your way together, um, Maybe you will get to the point where you can be peaceful, you can just agree on how you're gonna do family together, but I'm not gonna settle for that. What I'm really aiming for is a full restoration and a redemption. And until it gets to that point, um, I'm not gonna give up on it. And, and that's, again, that's the gospel. Starts from a mess, goes through the cross where justice is dealt with, and then it goes to resurrection and new life and new hope. Um, 
And I think it's important too, it's not that there's anything wrong with seeking justice. Um, you have to go through justice. And again, that's the gospel. It goes through justice into love and into grace. But you can't settle for justice. Justice can't be the goal, not the ultimate goal. So let me just finish. I want you to aim as high as you can. Um, all the way through, let me just sort of repeat some of the things it says all the way through. It says, don't be tight-fisted or hard-hearted or stingy and don't have wicked thoughts about this. Don't do your jubilee maths when it comes to your generosity. Don't sort of work out, what's the minimum I can be generous about? What can I get away with? Don't consider costly grace. And I think that's, I think they're the, what's the word, tautology? Real grace is costly. Don't consider it a hardship. Real cancelling debts, real forgiveness is not a hardship, it's a joy. And love is the goal. Um, let me finish with two observations. I think that this is really hard for us. Even harder than it was for these guys back here. Um, I think Westerners, um, maybe I'd even go so far as to say Western Reformed evangelicals are very great risk of being stingy and not generous. Um, we read something like Luke chapter 6 about giving, someone else your shirt, give your coat, and our first reaction is, eh, that can't quite be right, that must, I can't actually mean that if someone asked, asked me for that, I'll just give it to them. And maybe that's right. Maybe there's context too. But, but it's more, that's our reaction. We tend to be stingy. I, um, I remember when I was in Carlton, in Melbourne, an African person asked me to help them find a place to live, find a rental. They were looking for rentals. I said, yep, sure. I'll, I'll see you on Saturday and I'll help you find a place to rent. I turned up with my car to drive them around to help them find a place. And they, they said, no, I don't want to go in your car. I want you to give me the first month's bond for a rental place. That's what I mean by help. And I remember thinking, oh, okay. Um, I didn't. I'm not sure that I was right or wrong. He wasn't in the family. I could even justify it here if I wanted to. But I thought, yeah, okay, that's fascinating. My level of financial help that I'm comfortable with, it's, we are not a very generous culture. And again, the, the model here is think family. I have kids, I have lent my kids money, lent, I have lent kids money, thousands of dollars, I do not expect to see a bag. Um, but I don't sort of approach it as if, well, I'm not going to, I'll have to wait for you to get the right job or I'll give you only enough because I know you'll pay it back in this time frame or, so it works with family, you give it to them, if, if it comes back, brilliant, if it doesn't, that's okay, it's family, that's the mindset. I think too we are also at very grave risk um, in our culture and getting graver and graver of just aiming for justice and being happy with justice or longing for justice but not wanting to go beyond that. It's a me too culture, it's a Marktree school, abusive church culture. Um, even, and I'm, I need to be careful how I say this, even debates around the voice, um, what are we aiming for here? It is right, don't get me wrong, it is right to aim for restitution and for justice. But 
you can't settle for that and it has to go beyond that. So with The Voice, we cannot be aiming for justice, we've got to be aiming for family, for reconciliation. So whenever, however you want to approach that, that's got to be where we're going to and work out the best way of that happening. Um, we've got to go beyond just seeking justice. Now, I'm, I'm conscious many times you'll have to settle for justice and it might be a first step, it might need a lot of work, but that can never be our goal. We're aiming to retrieve love and aim is high because that's the gospel. Redemption and renewal and it's a, super, a supernatural thing. And it will take the Holy Spirit to do it, so let's pray that God would enable us to do it. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that in all the mess of our sin that you worked on the cross to bring justice but also you worked in the resurrection to bring new life and hope and redemption and transformation. And we pray that in all the ways that we deal with people that we will aim high, that we will absolutely seek to be right with people and to deal with things the right way, um, that we'll be generous and cancel debt and bring things back to parity, but beyond that, that we will be seeking love and familial type love. And we'll try and retrieve whatever love we can in every situation and pour out your spirit to enable that to happen. Do miracles in this respect amongst us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.